Welcome to New Perceptions Podcast, the official podcast of the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry. The New Perceptions Podcast is for education, information, and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and do not reflect the official policies of any entity. This podcast in the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry does not support or condone the illegal use, distribution, or sale of psychedelic substances. Furthermore, the topics discussed should not be solely used to diagnose, treat, or prevent diseases or conditions. And the reading of or listening to this podcast does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. The content discussed does not constitute medical advice, and any specific medical questions should be directed toward your personal health care professional. Today on the podcast review article on LSD. If you are listening to us on the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry website, it would be easier for you and better for us if you would please consider following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you will be notified when the latest episode airs. I am Dr. Tyler Chervested, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and it's my privilege to welcome you to this author interview edition of the podcast. Dr. Gershom Hernandez obtained his undergraduate degree in biological sciences at the University of Redlands and attended medical school at Ross University. He is currently a PGY4 psychiatry resident at the University of Kansas Health System in Kansas City, Kansas. He also serves as the editor-at-large for the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry, and his article, LSD, A Comprehensive Review, can be found in the inaugural issue, which is available on our website. He can also be heard on our first episode of this podcast in the editor's edition. Gershom, welcome. Thank you, Tyler. So for the listeners out there who maybe haven't had a chance to read your article yet, can you tell us a little bit about what it is? I um, decided to do just a review article on LSD and went through the history, started with, um, you know, how it was discovered, discovered by Albert, Albert Hoffman. And I, once I looked into it, kind of the history of it, when it was researched, I found that, you know, a lot of the research kind of got shut down in the 1970s due to the Controlled Substances Act. Um, after, after that, there was little to no research done on it. So I kind of looked at the history, the pharmacology, what we knew about it, what it was originally studied for back then, and then looked at any potential newer studies that were coming out now. Very cool. So what was it about psychedelics and LSD specifically that got you interested in studying this? I got really interested in it um, kind of by hearing some things. A lot of my patients were asking questions about these substances and, you know, the fact that they are being researched and talked about more. Um, a lot of it, I think, started with the marijuana legalization. People started getting a little more interested in psychedelic medic you know, as a medication um, once marijuana started being, you know, kind of approved for medical use in certain states. And, you know, I started looking into the other psychedelics, um, and they had a long history of actually being used for psychotherapeutic purposes. Um, just historically, you know, thousands of years of human beings have used these substances in, in certain cultures for you know, spiritual or religious uses. And using them in a modern day sense um, was very intriguing to me because it, it seemed to, you know, the studies that they had done in the past looked at how people uh, took these drugs and then had a profound reaction to them um, that was overwhelmingly positive in some of the earlier, earlier literature um, and kind of cultural uh, as well, like in the 1960s where you had you know, free love, and you had kind of the hippies and, and everyone making this popular. Some people went to some extremes uh, with that in, in a historical sense and kind of scared the public away from LSD specifically. Um, LSD in particular got kind of a bad rap and kind of got uh, in the public view to be thought of as much more dangerous than the studies actually show. And that was fascinating to me. Yeah, so what specifically about LSD, given all of those negative connotations, was it that drew you to study that instead of like, you know, Tony was studying psilocybin or, you know, any of the other possible psychedelics out there? 
What was it specifically about LSD that drew you to it? Well, specifically, it was just the fact that it had been kind of shunned um, and that it had been thought of as this, you know, big negative, you know, you hear a lot of negative things about it just anecdotally. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I had thought that it was more dangerous than I initially, you know, once I started researching and learning about the safety of it, it's, it's actually very difficult to um, cause death in a human being with LSD, which, which specifically because, I, you know, you can look at all the other psychedelics, but LSD was also one of the, one of the earlier ones and one of the ones that, that was manufactured um, by Albert Hoffman, you know, to, to kind of start the, um, the process of people looking into these types of medications. I thought that was important to take a look at, at this one, in, you know, specifically, and kind of go forward from there. So you, you you touched on just a few of your you know negative connotations with it. What are some of the negative aspects about LSD that are actually you know true that we should be aware of? So the biggest one that's of of major concern is is the risk of a like a psychotic episode or of perceptual disturbances that may put someone, for example, in danger. Um, a lot of the the things in the past that were talked about with LSD, you had these reports where people would like jump off buildings or, you know, do high doses and, and harm themselves. Um, overall, LSD is very, very safe. And if given in low doses uh, in a controlled setting, for example, as a, in a clinical trial, you know, hypothetically, it would be, it would be a safe and controlled environment. Um, but the, the risk is, of course, that you can have a perceptual disturbance, you can hallucinate, you can, you know, induce a psychotic state, um, which may make you paranoid, may make you feel unsafe, and, and has the potential, you know, if someone's not in their right mind or interpreting reality properly, you know, that could be, that could be dangerous to them, and they could, you know, harm themselves, whether it's on accident or, on, you know, on purpose. Um, and I think that's kind of the biggest risk with, with these types of medications, um, these types of drugs. I also think that the, uh, the implications um, for, you know, some of the, just the, uh, the general side effects, like you can sweat, your heart can race, your blood pressure can get elevated. So it really requires, you know, a, a medical personnel to be there uh, if someone were to, you know, were to partake in one of these. Yeah, definitely. And we've talked about that on previous podcasts, that mm -hmm. that's a lot of stuff that we still need to kind of figure out. But I'm curious, in your review, since we talked a little bit about the negatives, what are some of the positive things that you, you noted in your review about LSD specifically? And kind of just tell us a little bit about that research. Yeah. The biggest things that they found in the research was the potential for, um, for alcoholism. Um, they had done a couple studies showing, you know, six month up to a year follow up where they had given it um, to alcoholics in order to, you know, to help um, them gauge like a mystical type experience and then to see, then they followed up to see if they remained abstinent. Um, during the six-month follow-up, it, it seemed that most of the study recipients did abstain from alcohol. Um, a lot of them noted that it had changed their perception of alcohol in general um, and seemed very promising. However, the studies were, were poorly done. There wasn't really a control. The good thing about it was that you could kind of get a specific population, uh, which is a little difficult to do when you're studying these types of uh, medications, is to, to try and get a population. For example, if you're studying depression, it's a little more difficult because with depression comes so many other comorbidities, and, and so does alcoholism as well. But you can get a good population that has one specific problem, such as alcohol, and you can control for this factor too, and the follow-up is much easier. You know, are you drinking, are you not drinking, as compared to, for example, doing like a standardized 
uh, assessment of depression. So that part of the study was was well done because they had a good specific population and they did show and demonstrate that the six-month follow-up, the only issues were that they were early studies, um, but very promising. Yeah. Any other promising areas of research you came across for LSD? There was a, some promise also for psychotherapy, um, using LSD as a form of psychotherapy where, and a lot, a lot of the older, they actually did a, um, a full protocol, um, which is available on the uh, MAPS website, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Um, this physician and the therapist, they wrote an entire protocol on how to do LSD-assisted psychotherapy, and this is something that had been picked up even after the Controlled Substances Act. There were some, some places in uh, Switzerland or in Germany that have done a little bit of this you know, in between, obviously none, none in the U.S. that have been sanctioned or legal. Uh, since the Controlled Substances Act, but there have been some across the nations that have done the, this type of LSD psychotherapy, and the idea behind it is, really combines a lot of common like CBT-type things that we do. They were able to write down their experience before, what they wanted to change, write what happened after, and then work with the therapist slowly before introducing the medicine. And they would try and do a lower dose prior to the large dose all in the context of a setting with a therapist in a comfortable environment. Very interesting. You touched on it just a little bit there with the classification of psychedelics, and you know we talk about this seemingly every podcast, the legal issues around psychedelic use. Outside of those, do you see any limitations going forward as far as LSD research goes, if to say that was rescheduled and we didn't have to uh, talk about that as much? I think the, the biggest limitation is going to be um, just controlling for a placebo in these studies. Um, I think the cultural perception of it too will, will have to change. It, it's always kind of one that's a little more worrisome uh, culturally uh, just because of the long history and perception of it. Um, but I, I think the biggest part in, in any of these drugs is going to be controlling um, for a type, placebo type because it's very difficult in these settings. Some studies have shown um, when they, you know, they do in psilocybin, they will do like a low dose psilocybin, or even they will do some Ritalin or Adderall. They did some uh, studies with a stimulant with LSD as well, uh, where they would give you a stimulant instead of as placebo. So it's difficult to control because the effects are fairly obvious once you get, you know, to a certain dose. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge in doing this, as well as standardizing it, um, the types of studies we do and making sure that we're able to, to combine it somehow with psychotherapy. It's going to be very difficult to separate studying these medicines outside of a, a form of therapy. Yeah, I, I agree with that in general. Kind of looking at this even more from your standpoint, what research that you think would be very important to do is something that hasn't been done or you want to see done specifically with LSD? I think I would really like to see a study um, focusing on psychotherapy um with you know like standard of care so you would have to do a group with a standardized um session of therapy without the medication and then one with the medication um i would really like to see how that compares um to lsd you know if you're looking at something like depression uh specifically i think would be very interesting i would also like to see more studies done for uh, the treatment of alcohol uh, because I think that's the one that showed really the most promise uh, in the older studies is looking at LSD to treat you know al chronic alcoholics. Yeah, I think I think that would be interesting as well. 
So let's kind of change topics here a little bit. What is it about the current psychiatric landscape that, that frustrates you or, or challenges you the most right now that you would like to see changed kind of going forward? Just in general, the psychiatric landscape? Just in general. I mean, I, I, from my standpoint, I'll give you just a, a little teaser. It, it's the lack of effective medications that really get at the problem. Antidepressants only treat biologic depression. They don't really treat the psychological or psychosocial depression. That's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from with that question. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's also access to care, too, is making sure you get proper access to not just, you know, a psychiatrist who can handle the medications, but access to a combination of that with therapy. Um, Because a lot of these issues, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, require um, both, I think. Um, You know, therapy can be beneficial to anybody. Uh, so I think getting access to that is is difficult too because you know therapy is also a time commitment. Therapy is, you know, there's a lot of barriers to therapy, um, whether it's the patient's perception to it, um, whether they can schedule the time. Um, but I think access to those kinds of things too uh, is also a big barrier that kind of frustrates me in psychiatry currently. This is very hard to to get all of that aligned in like one visit. <laughs> well, and I, I think I think you touch on an important topic there. I think the costs associated with psychological care in general are pretty prohibitive for patients that have you know psychiatric conditions because they tend to be lower socioeconomic status and so i'm curious do you think that psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapy if it meant a reduction in the you know cost burden or at least coming into the office could play a pivotal role in the future psychiatric practice at all well it's a big question um there's a lot to take into consideration with that but i think I think if if it were to be instituted, if it ends up showing, you know, the data shows that it is indeed helpful, because I don't think we're there, we're quite there with the data yet. Um, But if we got to a point where this was something we were doing routinely, and and it did reduce costs by, you know, preventing or or helping with certain, you know, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, um, I think that would be very beneficial. Uh, I think before we even, like, get there, we'd have to, you know, this, if this became something we could recommend, it would actually end up being very costly initially. Um, like most things, like currently with ketamine, we have, um, you know, early studies have been showing some, some good promise with ketamine, and a lot of places are actually using, you know, IV or intranasal ketamine to treat treatment-resistant depression, which I think is really uh, a kind of a cutting-edge treatment. We don't know a whole lot about it, but the things that we do know are pretty positive. Um, so I think if we got there, it would be, it would look similar to ketamine to where this treatment would likely be more expensive initially. And then eventually, um, you know, kind of like when a new computer comes out, it's going to be pretty expensive. And then a couple years later, it's, you know, it's kind of the old, <laughs> the old model. Yeah. And I'm also curious from, from that standpoint, as far as, as price goes, given that psychedelics similar to cannabis have such a large black market already associated with them, you know, this underground psychedelic movement that goes on. I'm I'm curious if you think that more patients might elect if it was legal to just use the underground route than actually even come to the, the doctor's office to get it prescribed to them. Yeah, that, that may be something um, that could happen also. I, you know, I would argue that that can happen with any medication, um, benzodiazepines, stimulants. You know, there are street value to a lot of the drugs that we prescribe um, in general. Um, whether or not, you know, if it's cost effective and it does some, become something that we recommend, yeah, people may say, yeah, well, it's too expensive. I'll just, you know, go out in the street and get it and use it. The only issue with that is that, you know, again, you're using it under 
you know, not under a controlled setting. You don't have medical personnel um, with all side effects and risk of psychosis. There's a lot more risk. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I would never recommend that at all. Um, but I think you would, you'd be doing it to the detriment of, um, of your own mental health at that point. Because it really does need to be structured. Um, if we, this is something we're going to use, it needs to be something that's controlled and structured in an environment that we are promoting, you know, the safety and we're promoting mental health. Um, not something that you do like recreationally at home. I think there's a big difference um, between you know what I'm hoping this could be, uh, you know, rather than you know, just you know street drug use. Yeah, I think you bring up an important point there. What would you like to see as far as protocols go if LSD you know goes through legal approval and it's something we can prescribe? What kind of protocol in the clinic do you think would be worth looking into from your standpoint? Well. It would have to be, it would have to be uh, involving a therapist. So, I think you would have to come initially for an assessment by a psychiatrist. You'd have to get established with a therapist. You'd have to go through enough sessions, and this is where I'd have, you know, a, kind of an idea. Like, you know, you'd have to go through. I'd, I'd have to think at least two months, maybe maybe less, but enough to develop a rapport and a relationship with your therapist and some trust, uh, and some openness, and start working on on things outside of you using this drug. And then after that, I would think you would introduce the drug, you know, in a safe, comfortable setting. And then you would also have follow-up appointments with your psychiatrist on the side. And then you're also going to have to think about, you know, what med- you know, mo- medications do we continue in addition to this? Because we do have a risk of serotonin syndrome, uh, for example, when you're looking at LSD or, you know, or psilocybin or any of these psychedelics, theoretically, um, in combination with the SSRIs or the SNRIs. Um, so some antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds. So I think a lot of that has to be taken into consideration. It's a very, very big question um, that we, you know, I don't have a whole lot of answers, but I think that's where we would start looking is looking at a structured, you know, therapist first, follow up with the psychiatrist, and then look at the medication interactions and make sure we're, you know, we're doing it safely and we're doing it appropriately. Yeah, I think those are all great ideas. And I really just think the conversation kind of needs to be started and had so that we can, we can be ready if that day should actually come. Yeah. And it looks like it is. It I is. agree. My last question for you, and, and this is quite a large question, and so you can, you can take a moment if you need all, to. You need all to. your questions have been large, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that psychedelics in general bridge the gap between the psychoanalytic, psychodynamic wing of psychiatry and the more behaviorist wing of psychiatry that kind of dominates today? Uh, yes, is a simple answer. <laughs> I, think, I think that this, this drug is very powerful. Um, Looking at the descriptions of the studies and, you know, the induction of, for example, like mystical type experiences with these drugs, it can be very profound uh, experience. Um, it can also be very scary and, you know, a, a lot of things can happen um, psychologically. So I think when you're looking at treating a patient, um, by, for example, like, like you said, with a standardized psychoanalytic approach or a behaviorist approach where we're looking at something like CBT, we're trying to change your thoughts, change the behaviors. We're also looking psychodynamically. So we're looking at a person, you know, and going through their entire life and how their past relates to their present. And, you know, again, the goal of this is to change something, whether it's a behavior, a thought, um, a feeling to improve, for example, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. I think with this medication, it may make it easier to access and to incorporate change. 
Um, that's the potential that I've, I've seen in a lot of these early studies and some of the other ones too with, with psilocybin. Um, but you know, that, that's still like, a, you know, that's still kind of early data and I can't really say or recommend anything currently, but I would like to know a lot more about it. Yeah. I, I largely agree with that description that you gave from my perspective. I think that psychedelics are almost a conduit between, you know, the, the unconscious, if you will, from the psychoanalytic psychodynamic perspective they're a conduit between that and the behaviorist outward approach that people live their life by, and they allow people to you know reset that behavior that's that's causing problems, or at least it makes it amenable to therapy. And so uh, that ego dissolution that goes a w- kind of along with psychedelic substances and the decreasing of the DMN's you know controlling activity mm-hmm. on the brain, I think are, are massive components from a, a psychoanalytic standpoint. They allow for behavioral change, and I think it's one of the few avenues in psychiatry that we have to kind of meld those two fields, which are oftentimes, you know, warring with each other. But I think if you could find a unifying theory, and I'm not saying psychedelics necessarily are, but something that allows you to kind of move back and forth between them, I think you would have a lot of people that would be interested in in, in further research in those areas. And so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that here as we wrap yeah. up. On that yeah. Um, yeah. No. Absolutely. That's and that's in line with. Um, one of the uh, neuroscientific like, theories right now about the brain, um, the entropic brain theory, talks about the default mode network, the DMN that you had mentioned, um, and kind of decreasing firing rates um, are shown in some psychedelics like psilocybin. Um, will should have a decreased rate of firing in the DMN. Um, they think that this uh, induces this entropic state. Um, a really, really good study. Um, Robin Carhart Harris, one of the leading UK researchers in psychedelics, um, wrote a good paper about the entropic brain. He tried to kind of bridge this, you know, kind of philosophical concept of the self and um, the idea that the default mode network kind of plays a big role in that and plays a big role in, you know, modulating your emotions and how we feel and how we go about our day-to-day life, um, you know, in day-to-day consciousness. And disrupting that or inducing what's what's similar to almost a like like you said ego dissolution or a disassociative experience um, or even a um, psychotic type state um, may benefit someone because the idea behind it is that you introduce more entropy to the brain, you end up opening up avenues to create new pathways to institute change, um, which I think is a very interesting theory. Um, especially with these types of drugs. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, just in general, when things become rigid across multiple domains, when things become rigid, they tend to fail. And so anything that can increase openness or novelty or, or any new experience that's going to add some kind of change to the system is probably going to be good. It's more of a dose-dependent thing is how much change is, is too much change for an environment and then does just small amounts of change like microdosing. And I think we, we just don't know yet. And I think those things will be a very interesting avenue going forward. Yeah, I agree. I think another idea too would be to study, you know, types of these drugs as well. Um, derivatives, for example, of LSD or derivatives of psilocybin that may have the potential for use um, in lower doses or in sub um, sub threshold doses to where you don't get the hallucinations or the actual psychedelic effects, um, there are some places where they are stu- they are looking into 
developing something like this where it, it may give you the positive mood benefits that you may see in some of these drugs, but not necessarily any of these psychedelic experience, which I think is, is looking into the future like that may be something that we, you know, hopefully we can develop something that's safe, something that's well tolerated, and something that can help without giving you maybe some of these adverse side effects or these worrisome type side effects that, you know, may, may scare some people off from trying something like this. Yeah, I think we need to take a, a trip to Hoffman's old lab and see if LSD-24 is lying around. Maybe we miss something. <laughs> yeah, pop over to Sandoz and, and see, uh, <laughs> see if there's any left. Yeah. All right, Gershom. Well, any take-home points for the listeners you want to you wanna make sure you hit? I, I think we covered it. Um, really, I, I think just, the, um, you know, just, just looking at the future, I think that these drugs or types of these drugs will likely play some role. Um, and, you know, I hope I'm not putting, like, the horse before the cart, but uh, I, do, I do think that they have a lot of potential, um, and I really hope that we, you know, we start seeing more and more research. I'm very excited about John Hopkins doing more and more research into these substances um, so that we can get a better idea and more data, um, whether, we rec- when we're, whether we end up recommending them or not at some point. Um, I think, you know, we need to know uh, whether or not these can be useful. I agree. And I think on that note, we will uh, let you go. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview. If you would like to submit an article for potential publication in the journal, or you have further questions, please visit our website, journalofpsychedelicpsychiatry.org, or send us an email at journalofpsychedelicpsychiatry at gmail.com. To stay up to date on all the latest information regarding the journal, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On behalf of Dr. Hernandez, thank you for listening to New Perceptions.